Our text is uh, verse 4 where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. It adds uh, with all your mind uh, elsewhere. But that invitation, that invitation to love the Lord our God, and that's what is the heading on Deuteronomy 6. And Deuteronomy 6 follows Deuteronomy 5, which is the presentation of the law of God, the Ten Commandments in the book of Deuteronomy. And so you have that in view. You have God's law, and then you have the invitation to love God. So we're going to look at that this afternoon the permission, we are given permission to love God. Congregation of Jesus Christ, what a privilege, what a privilege it is to be given permission to do something. I remember a couple years ago, I was visiting with my cousin George in Aurelia, Ontario, and we were standing there together looking at his vintage motorcycle. My Uncle Bill was a motorcycle repair person, and so Cousin George collects vintage motorcycles from the days when uh, we used to ride. And so he had there a 79 Honda CBX. There it is. Cherry red. That's not the actual bike, mind you. <laughs> but it was like that. And so visiting him, we were just talking and, and looking at the various motorcycles that he had. And since it's springtime now, I thought I would bring a motorcycle picture to show you and inspire you. Springtime, hey? So Cousin George was uh, showing me. I was being very careful not to touch the bike. Because you don't want to scratch the bike, right? Oh. And... I thought, man, that's beautiful. It's a six-cylinder, one of the very few straight six with, with six pipes coming out the front. And so Cousin George, is, he said to, let me start it up for you. Boom, hey, roar, hey, wow, very nice. But then he says, why don't you take it for a ride? I had never ridden any of Cousin George's bikes. Nobody did. Because Cousin George was very careful with his stuff. And this was good stuff. So I hesitated. Ah, sure, whatever. And he threw me the helmet. He said, go ahead. Gave me permission. <laughs> so very carefully I got on. I've ridden for years. So I think, yeah, it wasn't like I've never ridden. We have two bikes in the garage now. But I'd never ridden any of his stuff. And this is nice. So... Went out, it was beautiful, it was great. What a beautiful bike. We went out, round, lovely, came back, thought, wow, nice, nice to do. Nice to give given permission to do that. You would want to do that. I'd wanted to do that. But I couldn't do that unless he gave me permission. The sense of being given permission to do something that we would love to do. That's, that's in view here in terms of God's law 
And Deuteronomy 6, after the law is given, you don't get that right away, but that is what it is. It, it, it sounds like a list of denials. Don't do this, don't do that. And in those warnings are there. But on the other side, we are given permission to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is really what, as human beings, we were created to do. And when we do, we are most who we are. And, and it, it's lovely, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful. And so the, the picture of the commands is, in fact, a list of permissions. Thinking of the first command, Deuteronomy 5, verse 7, you shall have no other gods, small g, before me. God gives us permission to love him as God, to call on him, to learn from him, to experience his greatness, his majesty, his care, his love we would think we have no right. We, we really never could expect that he would give us permission to, to love and be in, in his presence at all. We are sinful people. Why would he ever even consider giving us permission? But he does in his love, in his law, to trust and love him and be truly blessed. In terms of having God give us permission, we, we need to, to recognize that, that we live with many other things that, that leave no time for God. God gets crowded out by the many things, the many sinful distractions. Jesus makes the parable, talks about the parable of the, the plant that grows and then Faith is choked out by the thorns, by the weeds, by the sinful things. And so to set aside, to step back from the sinful things and to, to take permission from God to, to love him, to put the other things aside. So let me, let me put it to you this way. God gives us permission to turn off our phones once in a while, right? Like, my phone is off now. Okay. Well, what if someone calls? Don't worry. God is in control. But we, we feel so tied to our technology that, that we, we don't even want to, to wonder. We need to know. We need to be in control. We need to understand our knowledge, our control, our ability has to hold us and keep us and save us. No. God gives us permission to set that aside and to trust in him and his love and his care. That's hard for us to do unless he gives us permission. Or we need God to give us permission to take some time off. The, the, the world, even with all its technological advantages, you are driven harder than ever. And why? Because I have to make sure I'm okay and I need to work harder and harder. And otherwise I, I'm stuck, I'm lost, I'm... No, God will take care of you. 
trust in him. Take a day of rest, a Sunday. Take the time you need. Trust in him. It's only in his blessing, in his care, that you can be at peace. And even, even our relaxing is pressured. The, the pressure of this world, even if we do take a day, and then, and then that day is, is without a, a godly center, and it becomes a very pressing day sometimes. You, you have to get all the stuff together and get out somewhere and do something, and, and, and it's, it's pressure and hectic and running around, and, and, and by the time you get back from, from something, you are, are not really rested at all. You are even more wound up from the weekend, and people get back to work after the weekend, and they have to just rest again because they've not rested at all. So God gives us permission to love him in the sense of, of setting our lives, our days in his hand and our work, our time, even our, our pleasures that, that as we put our hope, our trust in him, then, then we feel truly at peace, truly under his care as it should be. In contrast to the God of, of endless demanding work, the God of human success, small g, the God of empty pleasures, the sad gods who tend to enslave and to draw us away from the true God. God gives us permission to say no to the false gods, to trust him and to come into his presence and to walk in his way and to find peace and joy and comfort there. Now, we see that understanding in our confession. The confession takes the biblical understanding of God's law, and in our Reformed Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, it, it looks at three areas of life, and, and it places the law in a particular context, the law of God. So what part of the Heidelberg Catechism is the law found? The Heidelberg Catechism, the first part, looks at our sin. And, and we know, we understand, we confess that the law teaches us our sin. Paul says, I would not know my sin unless the law showed me. And so that's definitely part of what the law does. If, if you don't realize that coveting is wrong, and pretty much every person in our society doesn't seem to realize that. They want what everybody else has and they want more of everything and that's not wrong, that's right. But the law shows us what's wrong. You shall not covet. You shall be content. So the law does do that, absolutely. And so that reality, the law could definitely be there in terms of the first part of the Heidelberg Catechism. But it's not. It's not that it goes through every commandment and shows us how sinful we are in every way, though it could, and it does in one sense. That's not where it is placed. It could be in the second part, the Heidelberg Catechism talks about our salvation. And there, it, it could talk about the law too. And some people get that, get that confused. And, and they think, if I'm good enough, I'll be saved. And they go through the law. And they say, oh, 
I've done one, I've done two. I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't stolen anything. I haven't. Oh, now I'm saved. They know. You are saved by grace alone. And what you do only condemns you more. So the law is not there. The saving work, though it, it, it can be brought in that context, that's not at all where it belongs. And so instead we find it in the third part, the part of gratitude. And the sense of the law there doesn't make sense initially. You think, what What does the, the law, the Ten Commandments, what does that have to do with our being thankful to God? We just give thanks to God. Why, why is the law there? What, what does that have to do with anything? And so it's a very specific understanding. The law gives us permission to live out its truth in thankfulness to God, thankful service. And it's, it's a freeing, restful, glad, and joyful response, a guide to grateful living. It, it is a freeing from all the false gods. It's a beautiful thing. See it in contrast in the historical setting, first of all. The false gods of the ancient world. What, what is the freeing sense of, of worshiping the true God, loving the true God? In Deuteronomy itself, you have the sense of, of God leading the people, God guiding the people in, in a world, in, in a situation where there were many local gods, small gods. And in the, in the context of the, the gods of the nations there, there were gods of the forest and of the plains and of the rivers. And in the superstitions that the people had, they had to live and, and make sacrifice to all these gods. They had to keep an eye on everything. And so if they were traveling along a river, they'd have to give a, a special thought and, and an offering to the river god. And if they had to go through a forest, they would have to ask the forest god for protection. And there was all these kinds of gods of the hills and gods of the mountains and gods of different regions. And all of that to, to be careful. A sailor, before he sailed out on the sea, would pour a bottle of wine into the water because he had to appease the god of the, of the seas to give him safe passage. All of this was going on, and that was a constant slavery to very, very fickle gods in a very scary world. So how much more blessed to be given permission to set those all aside and to worship one God, one God of everything, so when you went by the river or on the ocean or through the forest or through the field, you knew one God watched over you. One God cared for you. The creator of the land and the sea, the rivers and the forest. And you knew you were in a right relationship with him. How freeing. How comforting that you could gratefully, joyfully, thankfully live before him. When Moses, who is writing 
and speaking here in, in Deuteronomy 6, talks about the God, small g, in verse uh, 14 and 15, that, that you don't follow those other gods. He is thinking of the gods of Egypt, the gods that were confronted in the ten plagues, where the, the god of the river Nile, the Nile god, was bloodied when the, when the Nile in the plague of, of, of the blood, where the water turns to blood. And then the, the sun god, Ra, was, was defeated in the plague of darkness by the true God. And so all those plagues show God, the true God, defeating the false gods and setting his people free and providing them manna and quail in the desert so the people could live gratefully, thankfully under his provision and his protection. The false gods of Canaan are also mentioned here where, where it talks about the Jordan River in verse 1 of, of Deuteronomy 6. And when the people of Israel came to the border of the promised land, and, and it says the, the river was at flood stage, and Baal was the god of Canaan, and he was the god of the rivers, and he was protecting his people by this flooded river. So all of these Israelites threatening to come across couldn't come across, but God had them walk through on dry ground, overcoming the small gods of the nations showing he was the true God. And when people trusted in him, walked in his way in grateful, thankful obedience, he would lead them and provide for them. And you get it again in the New Testament where Paul in Acts 17 goes to Athens, to Greece. And, and he walks into Athens, a, a great city with wise and wonderful people. And, and he sees all these gods. And they too had it in mind that you have to appease all these gods wherever you go. And then he, of course, picks up on the unknown god because they're so nervous and they're so uncertain. They better worship this unknown god just in case they, they upset some god again and they are in big trouble. And he... He takes them and confronts them with their, their very uncertain, fearful faith in many irritable gods. He tells them there's one true God. Instead of all of those gods, there's one, only one. And it's not what you have to do for him. It's what he has done for you. The most amazing thing. And so the gospel goes out, the joy, the assurance, the love of God for you, so that you would see that and the truth of his coming in Jesus Christ to be our Savior from uncertainty, fear, sin, and death. And that we have then the invitation to love him. What, what a relief. What a, what a gift. What a joy to be invited, to be given permission to love the one true God. That's what's being expressed here in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God. Invited to do that. That reality of, of living in 
a world of many uncertainties and having to the many pressures of, of false gods continues to be a struggle in the day when the catechism was written. Therefore, uh, the, the Heidelberg Catechism, when it begins to speak about the law in Lord's Day uh, 34 and question 94, it talks about um, the superstitions of the people of the day. Like when the catechism was written in the 1500s, people were, were frightened frightened by all of the things that could get them. They, they were worried about uh, curses and, and evil rites and things that uh, spells had been cast on them by others. And they had lucky charms that they kept in their pockets and they, they wouldn't go out on certain days and, and they wouldn't do a lot of things because there was all kinds of threat and uncertainty. And again, the invitation came. Set that all aside. There's one God who loves you, cares for you. As you trust in him, you can be at peace. And the people were invited to receive that. You find in our modern world, though, though we seem so in control, people are very fearful. Terribly fearful, even in our day. And if you ask them, like, like they, they take hold of the God of money, and, and that, that God drives every decision. And, and I don't know if I have enough. And I need more. And, and, and I can't help. I can't give any away. I can't. And, and everything is, is, is just on edge. And, and I don't know if I'm going to make it. And there's, there's a constant, constant, constant fear and uncertainty about my money and investment and how are things going and the markets up and down and on the news every day and what's happening and where are we going and to take that God and set it aside. Jesus says you can't serve money and the true God. The one will enslave you to, to a constant life of fear. The other will provide for you. You don't have to worry. He will provide for you. And that, that reality still continues to need to be addressed in our culture. Also, just another example, the false God of beauty there is a false god of beauty in our culture. And that beauty is, is something that, that is, is very demanding. So demanding, in fact, it reminds me a little bit of the Baal priests who were on Mount Carmel. And they were calling on their god. And uh, Elijah is taunting them there in, in 1 Kings. And then they start cutting themselves so that their God would be pleased and that they would hear and answer and, and have some, some sense of hope. And so uh, the God of beauty today demands that you cut yourself, that you get all kinds of cosmetic surgery because otherwise the God of beauty will deny you and you are no good and no one loves you and your life is miserable. And so... People give in to that God. They are, they are going and, and getting cut everywhere in every way because life is not worth living unless this God is praised and appeased. And so even there, there was just this, uh, this thing on the... On, I saw some of it. Some people in our fellowship are part of it. This uh, 
what was it, this no makeup. You took a selfie of yourself, some of the ladies with no makeup, eh? <gasps> How can you even do that, right? It, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, that's, it shouldn't be a huge problem, but it's, it's huge because apart from the God of beauty and if I'm not what, what everyone expects, then, then I'm nothing. I'm nobody, I'm awful. No, to, to, to just see you are beautiful as God made you. You are under his care. He loves you as you are. You love him. He cares for you. So this sense of permission to live life trusting God alone, a beautiful thing, a wonderful gift of thankfulness to God. God, I thank you that I don't have to be a slave to all these other gods, that I can simply trust in you, pray to you, humbly serve you, and you lead me, Psalm 23, you guide me, I lack nothing. What a wonderful place to live. Deuteronomy 6 invites us to do that, to walk in that way, to talk in that way, to live that way with one another, with our families, with our children, that we have that assurance that God loves us, invites us to love him, to respond to his wonderful grace. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do. We lift up our hearts in thankfulness to you this afternoon and we want to declare too that we love you. That we love you as the God who loved us first and who provides the assurance of salvation in your Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sin. We thank you for giving us meaning and purpose, for giving us comfort and peace and joy even in the uncertainties in this life. For Lord, we know certainly that when we put our hope, our trust in you, you provide strength for the day and hope for tomorrow. Lord, we thank you that we can go forward again in this day, in this new week, trusting in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our song of response is number 244. God himself is with us.